Welcome, everyone. This is all about Windows Phone Insight Podcast 178, recording this on Wednesday, the 20th of April, 2016. I'm Steve Litchfield. With me, I have regular Rafe Blanford. Hello, everybody. Well, I'm not sure how regular I am, but I'm definitely Rafe Blanford. I don't think we should go into your bowel habits, so let's just move swiftly on into <laughs> an there apology. There was me thinking it was about my appearance on the podcast. <laughs> uh, well, I have to start with an apology. Uh, in last week's podcast, Rafe, I enthused quite a lot about uh, Windows 10 Mobile Redstone, this new uh, anniversary update version of Windows 10 Mobile. It's destined to appear on production devices sometime in the summer, and which is already available for things like the Lumia 930, 830, 950, 950 XL, etc., etc., seeing how wonderful it was and it was the best version ever. And uh, as many Mm -hmm. people pointed out, karma is a bitch. And at the exact moment, while we were recording that podcast, while I was saying those very words, Microsoft was releasing the latest build, which is build 14.322, and it was the buggiest version ever they've ever done. So um, a huge apologies to everyone who then jumped on Redstone and then found that their their week has been ruined because applications failed to launch, media controls failed to respond, the device fails to come out of lock screen, etc., etc. But I have good news. The good news is there's another update now. Not surprisingly, Microsoft has felt a bit of heat from the insiders who have vented their their anger. And there's now another build out, much less than a week after the previous one. This is build 14.327, and it does fix quite a lot of the issues people have been having, but not all. So I I, I do kind of rescind everything I said last week, Rafe. The, the, the Redstone releases of Windows 10 Mobile are exactly as they sound they are the bleeding edge some builds will be great some builds may be very buggy and uh, you, you get what you get yeah it's a little bit unfortunate this one especially what we said but we i guess we've always said on the insider program there is some nervousness around using it as your only device um <laughs> i think quite a lot of people would have after that gone oh i can put this on my primary device but uh yeah so really apologies from me as well we tried to get these things right and obviously you can only make a judgment call on as and when i mean i suppose the good thing is here it is pretty easy to roll back to a, a previous version if, if something like that does go wrong uh, but maybe we'll try and be a little bit more cautious in the future steve well i was uh, completely right at the time we recorded it just <laughs> five five minutes after we finished recording it, i was wrong so it's just one of those things really but at least people can now upgrade to the 14327 uh, there are still a couple of applications which completely failed to launch tweetium being one of them which is a real shame as it's my all-time favorite windows phone stroke windows 10 mobile application twitter client obviously and it just crashes and burns and i'm sure the people at tweetium the developers are absolutely fuming because it's it's an os issue that's stopping their application running at all so hopefully we'll see another build uh, maybe another week or so's time. I think the builds are coming much faster and thicker now, so let's let's hope for that. Um, in build 14.327, there is a couple of interesting things to talk about, though, Rafe, because it, you, you may recall, and um, people, listeners may recall, about six to eight months ago, Microsoft started bundling Skype messaging into messaging and they obviously That's thought well right. this makes sense it's a you know it's it's a, it's a messaging application why don't we build in the skype ims into that and they did that but it made checking it for a text message so slow because it had all the skype code built into the, what should be a really lightweight messaging client everyone hated it especially especially me and now they've they've said okay plan d or whatever they're up to now plan e we're now going to build a skype universal windows program which it makes absolute sense and we're going to decouple uh, skype from messaging we're going to take we've taken all the code out and the very latest first mess- of messaging in build 
14327, available today as we record this on the Wednesday evening. Now it doesn't have the Skype stuff built in, so sanity has prevailed, Rafe. We now have messaging and Skype, completely nothing to do with each other, and everyone's happy. Yeah, except I kind of liked it because I found it convenient. But uh, Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're never going to win on this one. And I did think at the time it was sort of asking for a bit of trouble. I mean, it would be one thing if it was completely universal or it was very much dedicated to the platform, but Skype is kind of everywhere in one sense. It's not like something like, say, iMessage on iOS. Um, although I guess that's what they were thinking of and that's what they were aiming at. And certainly that would be a good thing if they could get there. But it's been very noticeable that um, Skype, I mean, it's evolved so much since Microsoft acquired the company. And it's interesting to see it getting into things like Outlook.com and, you know, versions that work in the, the web browser without the need for any add-ins. So, um, I think they can be forgiven a little bit of a miss here. I mean, philosophically, it's always dangerous when a platform provider starts bundling a certain type of app in with something else. And, you know, we have seen the same with things, well, Hangouts and iMessage being good examples here. And for some people, it's great, especially if you're on that platform. But then you do get the problems where, you know, you've got friends and family who aren't on that same platform or with the, it going wrong with the, the iMessage and sort of changing SIMs problem that was talked about, about a while back. And actually, I'd say that Skype comes under the same criteria here, except in this case, I think it was just perhaps poor implementation on the software side or maybe just not enough resources. And of course, I think uh, Windows 10 Mobile is always going to be attacked for that kind of thing just because it's a smaller platform. And so the advantage of having it built in is probably less so than on some of the other platforms. Um, but it's noticeable that you know, Google's, in some senses, backed a bit away from the Hangouts integration, at least to, the, to, to some extent. Um, and so... Microsoft has obviously tried this out, whether it's a combination of you know, that problem from a software engineering point of view and uh, or whether it's more about the user feedback or just you know, a, a change in philosophy, I'm not really sure. I think in terms of simplicity, it's probably the right way to go because um, I'm, you know, even though Skype is very popular, I very much doubt it's universally used by people on Windows 10 mobile because, I mean, I know I probably fall into that category. I use it on a mobile device when I know I've got to use it. I tended not to have it always on. So actually when it did get integrated, it was something of a pleasant surprise when it sort of started working seamlessly, um, hence my comment about kind of missing it a little bit going forward. Well, you've always been strange, Rafe. But, yes. Um... Yeah, thank you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> also in Build 14327 is Cortana in more languages, which are some quite significant ones here, Rafe. Spanish for Mexico, Portuguese in Brazil, French in Canada. Um, all, all brand new for this build. So I guess if you're any any of those countries speaking those languages and you want the full Cortana voice support, then the Insiders build is actually a jolly good place to try it all out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good to see this. I mean, actually the Cortana rollout has happened kind of more slowly than I I mean, I can remember being annoyed when it was just in the US and switching over the device language to kind of get it and try it out. And then it launched in the UK and the way that features get rolled out and added to it all the time is a, a really nice thing. Because once you've got it in your own market, you tend to forget about everybody <laughs> else. Um, and I know it's a, kind of annoyed people I've talked to, you know, those who said that they want to use it. They've heard a lot about Cortana. I think particularly when people started finding it on desktop Windows 10 as well. So it's great to see that this rollout program um, is continuing. I know the European markets are, are pretty good, but obviously now they're, it looks like they're looking at some of the markets where Windows 10 mobile devices have done quite well with the low-end devices. I know that uh, Mexico and Brazil have been markets that have been not 
amazing for Windows 10 Mobile, but certainly had quite a bit of traction. So I wonder if they're kind of working their way down the countries where it makes sense to do so from a device population point of view. Yeah, absolutely. A uh, final thing to, men- to mention on this build 14.327 released today is that uh, messaging everywhere is now a thing, which means in theory you can send text messages from Windows messaging on your PC through your phone, which is nearby, all synced through your Microsoft account, which is kind of a, a nice option. I, I can't say I'd use it terribly often, but uh, yes, it's nice to have. Well, I, I on the other hand think I would use this. I mean, I've used, I think I referred to Mighty Text in previous uh, podcast but also the way this is built in on the the mac os as well and i've been using it uh on work machines for that reason but also the one that i'd really highlight is um i've been using the web's version of whatsapp just because when you're sitting at a pc you can very quickly create a longer text message you know without having to a reach for the phone or use the keyboard and although i'm pretty quick entering text in thanks to the kind of swipe keyboard um i'm always going to favor sort of being able to do something from the desktop so to me this is actually one that's been available on other platforms for a long time and there's actually been some third-party workarounds for various devices over the years going i mean i think the first device i remember doing this on were, were symbian devices actually uh, nokia had kind of part of the n series suite was enabling you to do this uh, but the more recent implementations particularly from the android and ios point of view have been much smoother and just working very seamlessly often being built into the the platform notifications um, and so, yeah, it's great to see this. I'd actually like to see more of this kind of desktop mobile integration. And we talked about this last week, actually, with regard to some of the notifications around battery, for example, that are being introduced. And it feels to me like a, a, a opportunity, particularly for Windows, where you do have this idea of this single platform that reaches across all devices. And, you know, whatever device has your attention should have those relevant notifications or the things that might be tied to a particular device. You know, phone call is is another example of that. Um, So, yeah, big thumbs up from me for this kind of thing. Yeah, uh, just continuing some of those thoughts. There's actually an excellent series of uh, editorials over on one of our rival sites, Windows Central, but uh, by a chap called Jason Ward. I I presume he's British, but uh, I would say about his writing, it's well worth getting through whatever it is, 50,000 words he's done so far. But he is the sort of chap who does tend to write, never use one word when 100 words will do. So. Take it, with a, take it with a pinch of salt. But if, you, if you're fascinated by the concept of what makes a smartphone, what makes a, a hybrid, how these things all fit in with each other and the, the wider uh, ecosystem and the wider computing world, there are, there's some good reading over there. And at some point, I'm going to do some su- summarizing, which I think is probably the best thing to do, and link to the individual parts of his feature, because it's quite interesting. Um, I do have another apology to make. Um, this is to our, our regular listener and reader, Ray, who's in the USA. And uh, several times we said, oh, yes, send us your feedback and your comments and we'll feature them in the podcast and we keep forgetting so i'm terribly sorry ray this is we're now about to rectify that you have written and hopefully rafe can uh, pass sensible comment this is also on the subject of cortana which is a nice segue as well ray says regarding your comments on how cortana continues to be improved and integrated more deeply this is welcome news to me that said i do wish you Stephen rafe and others with the power of the pulpit do we have that? Would routinely mention Cortana's clear advantages when it comes to safe, efficient, hands-free texting, emailing, creating reminders, navigation, etc. via Bluetooth headset and wired earbuds, I'm presuming he's thinking about in the car. He says, it's unfathomable to me how well Cortana works safely via Bluetooth in the car or when doing chores around the house, yet no one in the press ever mentions it. For that matter, neither does Microsoft nor AT&T, because again, he's in the USA. Cortana, says Ray, has solved the safe driving and hands-free issue 
assuming you use a high-quality noise-cancelling microphone headset. Yet that wonderful capability is invisible to most people. It's so sad, he says, Cortana's abilities with Bluetooth and wired headset integration are legion. Yet these technical and competitive advantages go unnoticed. Her full story are untold. I have to say, Rafe, I, I, my uses for Cortana tend to be fairly unambitious. It, so, it sounds like Ray's really using it to its full advantage. And to be fair, Cortana does work incredibly well, provided your car's not too noisy. You can just say, send, um, send text to Rafe Blanford and then wait for the prompt. And, you know, I'm running late for the podcast. See, uh, speak to you at 7.45 p.m. And it'll just go off and do all that sort of thing. Cortana does really, really well. So it's a good shout-out from Ray and a, a sign that Cortana really does ver- work very well indeed. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with this. It's actually the way I first started using uh, Cortana when when driving the car through a kind of uh, standalone uh, Bluetooth system. And I can't say I've ever used it with a headset, but I can see the point here. I mean, I would point out that, as you say, you can almost use it um, – just by saying "Hey Cortana" on one of the headsets that's uh, so the handsets that supports that so really from the nine thirty onwards in terms of the high end ones. Yeah. Um, but there are an increasing number of both Android um, and also the iPhone does this too that has that same functionality. What I think um, Ray does get right is what you can do with Cortana purely through that voice interface and prompts is very impressive. Um, not using them so regularly on Android and iOS, I'm not quite sure what the capabilities there. I know in the past it wasn't quite as smooth, but the thing I would say about the in-car uh, usage scenario is increasingly we're seeing uh, CarPlay and Android Auto come into the discussion here, and that kind of has these kind of voice-activated functions and or buttons on the dashboard that let you use your phone or a subset of functionality with a and perhaps with a screen on the dashboard as well. And I think a lot of people see that as more sophisticated. But even those functions, you don't see mentioned very much in reviews. And actually, uh, I was looking at a bit of car buying research recently, and that kind of functionality is actually becoming increasingly important uh, for people making a decision about what to get. I mean, it always used to be that some of the accessories were a little bit you know, just the icing on the cake but actually i've talked to people and according to this uh, bit of research i was looking at who, who say the car decision will often come down to just how well integrated the infotainment system is and that's referring to both music and media as well as the sort of telephone functions that these systems tend to have so ray i think one of the comments here might be that android auto and carplay um have a bit of an advantage here on those platforms and so maybe there's less attention paid to the audio interfaces uh, but you're absolutely right to highlight it. Yeah, Cortana does work wonderfully well in those instances. And I would say there's a lot to be said for it being purely audio-based. I think we're going to see much more of these audio interfaces in the future. The Amazon Echo is getting a lot of attention at the moment. And, you know, to me, that's just kind of an extension of that. Is these UI-less services, you know, this idea that you don't have to have a screen, you can just do things up through a series of prompts. And, of course, that also, in a way, ties into some of the... Uh, messaging as a platform and Facebook announcing messaging bots kind of last week. Obviously, those do have a UI, but they are very much kind of command line driven, which does lend itself to, to audio as well. So it's a really interesting area to think about. And, you know, actually in day-to-day use, you know, people spend a lot of time in cars or in situations where they may not, you know, want to be able to touch their phone. They, you know, and so an audio interface becomes um, really important. One of the things that does sadden me about the decline of Nokia uh, and associated cars here is is 
So Miralink has become less important. And that was a technology that essentially came out of the Nokia research labs and was taken up by car consortiums. But uh, because Android and iOS became so much more prevalent, uh, Android Auto and CarPlay respectively seem to have a bit of advantage. And Miralink's still out there. And actually, there are some uh, handsets on Android that do support it. Uh, and there was talk of it coming into uh, Windows because uh, it was originally on the Symbian devices. But it, it's kind of become, I think, de-emphasized. And while some of these systems are, are triple headers, an awful lot of them now are sort of double headers with Android Auto and CarPlay support. So it's just another reason where the Windows ecosystem has fallen behind. And so, you know, that's kind of a long-winded way of saying there was actually other activities beyond just this audio stuff. But um, to Ray's point, yeah, absolutely. We, we should uh, highlight it a bit more often. And it's interesting that he comments on the headset scenario around the house. It's not something I ever use, but um, I think with the rise of sort of these magic words and always on audio recognition plus things like Amazon Echo, maybe a bit more attention will be paid to it in the future. And it becomes a very interesting question, just how much functionality and how should it be accessed you know, um, in the future? I want to see someone start a conversation with Echo and then Echo carry on the conversation with Cortana, which <laughs> then starts talking to Google now. It could get very confusing. <laughs> anyway, thanks to Ray for writing in, and if you if you do also want to write in via email or in one of the comments, and we do if we do forget about your comment, then please remind us. We, we're we're delib- not trying to deliberately ignore people, and sometimes let us get bumped to the bottom of our show notes. Uh, there's one from Nick Price, which we'll maybe come to next week if we have time. But there's always pressing stories we like to cover, and there's a couple of stories which may veer me in the direction of imaging race. So before I get down that rat hole, maybe you just want to give a plug to a universal application team view. I mean, we talked about remote desktop. Um, last week in terms of using using that via continuum to get a window into a pc somewhere else in the world but team are almost uh, the same sort of thing but with a much more generic cross-platform system and that's now continuum available yes that's right i mean i wanted to mention team because we talked about uh, remote desktop last week and as you rightly commented it tends to need someone to have set it up for you or some kind of enterprise uh, instance of it but TeamViewer is a very similar kind of remote access program, and there's been many over the years. But I think TeamViewer is probably the choice of a lot of consumers now, you know, maybe for doing family tech support or just, you know, getting in a desktop computer when you're out and about. Um, it has been available for Windows for a while. It's obviously available for lots of other platforms too. And actually for personal usage, it's completely uh, free of charge. And what it allows you to do, obviously, is access and use a remote computer. So from your Windows 10 mobile device, you can, or actually it's available for Windows Phone 8.1 as well. You can log into any machine and that could be a Windows desktop. It could be uh, a Mac desktop and indeed a whole bunch of other platforms uh, and just use it. You know, and obviously some of it can be a bit fiddly, but actually with a combination of clever inputs for mouse and touch and things like that and also keyboards, it works pretty well. And if you're looking to do a quick fix on someone's computer or you're getting at something you've left on another computer, it's absolutely invaluable. But the reason I wanted to mention it this week and give it a quick plug is it's a universal Windows app and has been for a while, I think. But it's now added continuum support, which suddenly makes that kind of remote access through a mobile phone much easier because of course it's on a big screen it's got full mouse and keyboard support and i've talked in the past about the limitations of uh you know continue in terms of kind of single mode not having multiple windows but of course as soon as you start using team viewer that kind of goes away and so i've actually set this up so i can use my desktop pc uh you know from my phone remotely and it feels like using it 
very quickly. I mean, if you're on a decent connection, actually, even anything on above 3G, it will work absolutely fine. Obviously, works better on a 4G or a Wi-Fi connection. Um, but that just means it, it kind of continuum almost turns into a full PC. And of course, it's kind of moving away from some of the advantages because it's not kind of that single instance of your data and those same applications. Uh, but actually, for those times when that falls down that we've talked about kind of a, for pr- productivity on the road, this is actually a, a pretty neat solution. And, you know, you can achieve this through other ways with, you know, some of the Android device and the iOS devices that support kind of putting things onto a big screen. But because Continue is actually set up to use, uh, you know, a keyboard and a mouse, it just feels like it works particularly well. So if you haven't tried out TeamViewer and you have got a Continuum capable device and the necessary accessories, I think this one's well worth a try if you want to kind of do that remote access. And effectively, it's a version of the Workspaces app that we've talked about for the HP see elite x3 um but obviously working with your with your own device and so for consumers it's actually a really attractive way to try out and use this kind of use cases scenario of you know remote access on the move okay and uh, on the same subject in terms of working very well and continuum just a shout out really as a review i did about two months ago is the microsoft wireless display adapter i think it's the second version nokia did their own version before this the microsoft had basically polished it up a bit and there's been several firmware updates for this over the last month or so um improving it making it slicker and faster and and i think supporting higher resolutions better um essentially that i wherever i go now uh, relatives have got wind of the fact that i can put whatever's on my phone screen whether it's youtube or media i've consumed etc etc and and it just make it magically appear on their tv it's it's kind of the the words got around the family tree so whenever i go anywhere now they say oh steve can you bring your gadget by which they mean the microsoft wireless display adapter and yes the continuum display dock is nice and you've got you've got three or four cables that go with it to power it and then connect to the phone and it's so much easier actually actually if if it's not absolutely critical you're not planning to do lots of email and a whole long session if it's just casual stuff like casting a bit of media around um and perhaps checking a web page and just just showing off something that's something online then this wireless display adapter is a really neat solution it's it's absolutely tiny it literally just plugs in the back of any hdmi port on any monitor and as long as that monitor's got a usb port and let's face it most tvs these days you may not realize it but they do have usb ports in the back and they're usually quite close to the hdmi ports for this exact reason they're using usb as a power outlet for for um hdmi adapters of this kind so uh, just a big shout out really if, if you're in that that mode where you'd like to try it continue on your 950 950 xl or whatever um and don't fancy the, the expense of the display dock and also or have to carry around all those cables then you can get an awful lot, lot of the continuum experience done a surprising amount really with this this is a rather tiny wireless display adapter and it's i think it's now down to about 30 something pounds on sale on amazon so uh do see the link in the review i, I highly recommend it for me yeah it's a it's a bit of a bargain this i, I mean i think for people who are just looking to do content consumption through continuum it actually works really well and it does make me look forward to the day where you'll be able to throw content from any device onto any other device uh, through this kind of remote access and actually i know continuance moving further that way as well maybe we'll talk about that in a minute but just generally from a, a technologist's point of view i see all these screens around me uh, both at work and in the home and it kind of annoys me it's not easier to transfer content on them and you know actually uh, nokia did the kind of the beamer technology photo beamer as an app and that was a great way to achieve a, a similar result but even that was a little bit fiddly 
to to set up the advantage of these kind of display adapters is it's very much built into the platform you know and actually you once you've got it plugged in and it, there is a, obviously some setup to do as well in terms of wi-fi networks and stuff like that um in some cases but you know you, you can get something from your phone up to another screen in what a couple of seconds steve Oh, absolutely. And the advantage of this Microsoft one is that everything is, op- by definition, optimized for the Lumias and optimized for Windows 10 Mobile and optimized for Continuum. And uh, well, I've had been trying to, for example, connect um, to a Miracast or, quote, Miracast compatible d- displays for the last year or so. And there's four or five TVs in my family. And it's never worked once properly. Not, not once. <laughs> I plug in this Microsoft uh, adapter, which is by the same company that make the OS. And surprise, surprise, it all works first time. So uh, I'd, I'd stick to the Microsoft brand if I were you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, that's good advice. Yeah. Um, just turning my attention to something I wrote in the week, which are, in terms of working well, this works really, really well. Maybe you can bring up the dynamic exposure article on your monitor, Rafe. And uh, I've been using your wonderful little JavaScript interactive comparator again, you'll be glad to know. And uh, I seem to get regular use out of this, so hopefully the... Uh, the royalties are coming flooding in. Um, <laughs> basically, dynamic exposure is one of the little-known parts of what used to be Microsoft's or Nokia's rich capture. Um, and I did the whole rich capture flowchart a week or so ago, so do go and look at that. And I think I included a copy at the bottom of the article. But basically, under certain circumstances, when, when you're in low light, but you're shooting something that's moving and it's too far away for flash. So in my, I used the example of a car zooming by just to demonstrate it really because it's obvious to see what's happening. But there's also the example I, I showed in the car. Maybe you can bring up the comparator of the photograph of me taken by a friend in, in my car. Very low interior light in the car, very dark outside. Uh, and essentially dynamic exposure is under these circumstances when flash has been disabled, you can get this wonderful thing whereby uh, it takes a short exposure and a long exposure and it not only manages to sort of work out the best of the best of both worlds, it manages to produce something that's much better than either of them. And you have to look at the two comparators to, on your screen now, Rafe, to see what I mean. But essentially, it's taking the detail information from the short exposure with the the the, the luminosity and the color information from the long exposure, and then it's applying bucket loads of processing and, and image enhancement to produce something that's almost usable from a situation where I was moving and incredibly low light and you really would not expect a usable snap, but it, it, I think it worked wonders. Yes. I mean, it, it does work wonderfully well. I mean, I guess the origins of this go back to the, the Lumi 813 rich capture, but it does feel like it's been improved in subsequent iterations and, and certainly more noticeable on the most recent devices. Um, and I think it also helps that some of the naming has got kind of clear on the way these things work. And actually, I think, it, you know, it was mentioned in the kind of the flowchart that we mentioned last week, but it is this thing we talked about of being much more forgiving when you're taking an image. You don't have to think about it. It does the work for you. And it's this computational photography we've been talking about for the last two years. And it's one of the most obvious examples of it, where if you had to do this stuff manually, it would be a complete nightmare and actually it would be pretty <laughs> difficult to do. And obviously, as you say, it's combining information from the various exposure levels. And so you get the benefit of something like, uh, you know, the, the more accurate colors and that, that detail from the, the long exposure. Yet you get the kind of the frozen, you know, especially when there's motion involved from the short exposure. And it seems to actually, you know, separate the image into zones. And so you can actually combine the two. And this is apparent, uh, particularly in your moving car. Uh, comparison shot but yeah. also um that 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 color luminosity that i'm talking about is more obvious i guess in the the portrait shot of you in the car um obviously this doesn't 
fire off every time it is a certain set of conditions. And I, I suspect people don't notice how much better it is until they actually, you know, do these side by side comparisons. And the other thing is, if you compare it with another camera phone, it may not be quite so obvious quite how well the uh, Lumia phone or the Microsoft phone is doing here, simply because um, other processing methods will tend to, you know, ratchet up the uh, the, the processing and they may do that in various ways and so the difference isn't so obvious until you kind of look in a little bit more detail but when you understand how this is constructed you can actually understand how the Lumia 950 in particular is able to put together a much better output in these quite challenging conditions yeah. and the fact that it's doing that all automatically is really very impressive indeed yeah and uh, when pe- when you um, tap on the thumbnail at top left of your camera viewfinder at Windows 10 Mobile Windows 10 camera or Lumia camera indeed um, and you, you tap on it very shortly after taking a photograph and you see adding finishing touches dot 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 and a row of animated dots. You think, Oh my word, what's it doing now? And you get all impatient. Just think back to the examples I used there and the dynamic exposure. And there are some equally impressive examples in terms of dynamic flash and, and also HDR and just. You're only talking about five or six seconds, but think that the wonders it did in those two examples I included in the feature, and then think, okay, I can wait five or six seconds because the end result, after the processing, after the combination, after the blending, after the white balancing, the end result will be a much better photo. And I think that kind of puts it into perspective when people are starting to get rather frustrated by the animations. Yeah, yeah, and it is worth saying is um, I think you said quite clearly in the story that this is something that um, comes on when you've got the, the flash off. Uh, and so if you want to kind of get it into this mode, that, that's what you need to do. And I know a lot of people might actually turn it on to automatic or just have the flash on. And so you, you may be missing out on something because we've all been trained basically in low light. Sometimes you, you just have yeah. to use flash and it's actually probably, um, I, I've always sort of been a little bit annoyed by the way that flash tends to wash out all the colors. So wherever possible, I've used, you know, tended to turn it off, but that's probably because I'm used to the low light performance from Rockin' yeah. Microsoft device from your, but if you're kind of newer to the platform or haven't realized this, uh, it's just a tip that sometimes actually turning off the flash, uh, rather contrary to what you might think will result in a much better photo. Yeah, and of course, uh, it does depend on the distance. Say, if you're photographing something that's three or four meters away, then it doesn't the flash will do no good whatsoever. So, so if you're taking something that somebody's in the same room as you, yes, it's worth trying flash. And as Rafe says, if you don't like the the, the coloration from the flash, then try it with the flash off. But if it's something that's a car whizzing by or a, a band perhaps on stage, and you're in the third row at an outdoor festival in the evening, something like that, then the flash is going to do no good whatsoever. So you might as well turn it off and give the dynamic exposure a try. Um, so enough, yeah. So enough of that. Th- things that work well, um, things that don't work well. Uh, the Huawei P9, um, <laughs> which doesn't run Windows 10 Mobile, that was a slinky link. Um, the Lumia 950 is it's almost a dead ringer for it. Um, so we've got this brand new Android flagship comes in at 450 pounds, including VAT in the UK. Of course, the Lumia 950, same size, same ambitions, more or less similar spe- specs. Also started at 450-ish in the UK, um, slightly more, then slightly less, and now it's much less. You can now get a nine, Lumia 950 for 350, I think it is, uh, on Amazon UK, £100 less than the P9. But I thought the two were very, very valid contenders to put head-to-head. First of all, like the feature looking at the specifications, ambitions, and how well each of the aspects of the smartphones measure up to each other. And then, as as, as is always popular, a camera phone head-to-head. Uh, the direction, the, the general head-to-head, I say the 950 and P9, they're very, very similar. The P9 obviously draws ahead in terms of raw speed. 
and the fluidity of Android compared to the slightly beta-ish nature of Windows 10 Mobile. And of course, the P9 has also got the ecosystem thing where it's got all the Android applications and the, you know, there's a million apps in the, in the Google Play Store to draw from. But the 950, I think, does outgun the P9 in terms of raw specs and capabilities and connectivity and options and so forth. So it's a very much an even-run thing. The, one of the green wins in my table was for imaging, and under, these are always so popular. So I did a camera phone head-to-head, Lumi 950 against P9, and do go and look at it on the site now if you haven't already. Um, I have to say the 950 wipes the floor with the P9. The P9 has this dual camera setup, and the idea is that you have a, a, a color sensor and a monochrome sensor. With the monochrome sensor, which doesn't have the Bayer filter over all the pixels, basically you get more light and you can capture much more accurate and more detailed luminance information. And you take the color information, the color sensor, put the two together, and bingo, you've got a fabulous image. Except that uh, in all my tests, the monochrome sensor isn't used at all. I can literally cover up the monochrome camera with my fingertip, cover it up, uh, and then shoot one one photograph taken with it covered, one with it uncovered, and two are absolutely identical. So I don't know what Huawei are playing at. Their marketing is all over the place. If they're claiming this is the main benefit of the camera, then they're not even using the main benefit. I can only think there are software <laughs> updates to come. Having said that, it, it, it is, it's an interesting camera. It's, it's reasonably highly specified, um, and there is the, 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 the sort of shallow depth of field mode where you can refocus after the fact, which has big, big echoes of the, uh, you know, the way you could uh, reframe after the fact on, on Lumia camera for so long and keeping you know the dual JPEGs but under the scenes. So there's there's a lot interesting going on there. But the the Lumia 950 with the the, the large sensor, the OIS, the large aperture, just completely rather blows away the P9 as it does most of the other current competitors. So uh, if you're thinking of the P9 being the same form form factor, same size, a similarish price the Lumia 950, then I don't bother if imaging is your thing because the 950 is still the, the one to beat, I think, in the world now, Rafe. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, looking at your head-to-head photos, uh, it's pretty clear. But, I mean, you know, I've seen some pretty positive reviews for the P9. And, I mean, I'm always applauding those who try and do something a bit different in the imaging space. And it's interesting to hear your hands-on experience that that black and white sensor isn't really used. Because I've seen a couple of examples that people have posted onto Twitter and things like that where, ostensibly, it's coming out very impressive. But it, it is worth bearing in mind. Actually, just like what we've just been discussing with the, the Lumia cameras, is if it only activates in certain scenarios or modes, you have to sort of question the, the value of it. And that's yeah. actually what I'd say about the exposure stuff we are just talking about uh, with kind of uh, rich capture and it's all the oranges there. Um, you know, the depth of field stuff is kind of interesting. That's been done a couple of times, so it's hard to get really excited about that. Um, I guess, you know, it does have a, a slightly better front-facing camera, although I think actually the 5 megapixel one on the 950 is actually one of the better ones on the market. Yeah. So yeah. It, it just feels like uh, the, the P9 takes the right approach, but I wonder if they just haven't spent enough time kind of integrating that software. So, you know, it's a clever idea, but you actually need to work hard at making those ideas work and you know you can't help but draw the comparison to how rich capture you know took a long time to evolve to reach the extent it is now the intelligence that it has now early on those rich capture modes didn't activate quite so much and actually now you know kind of reflecting the fact it's almost built into you know the 950 the 950 xl and become comes on a lot more often i wonder whether that kind of software side just is always going to take longer and you know if you've got a very stable kind of an obvious roadmap for your camera technologies i think some of the leading manufacturers now do you you are going to have an advantage over those that kind of look for maybe a quick win and you know even that's not guaranteed because i i, I am 
you know, it does bring to mind uh, HTC's UltraPixel, which was absolutely the right idea in terms of the physics and some of the thinking behind it, but didn't ever quite manage to deliver on the performance. Now, there were various reasons for that. So I wonder whether this P9 thing could improve in time. I mean, I've seen the, the P9 in person a couple of times. I will say that the overall size, the kind of the lightness and the weight of the device was very impressive. From a personal point of view, I actually prefer a phone with a little bit of heft and it feels a bit more solid in my hand. But I know that kind of slim, lightweight kind of feel in the hand is very popular. And I think that's where the P9 arguably uh, does win over the 950. And I noticed that, you know, you've kind of given it a, a win there. Um, the interesting thing is it's not actually that much difference when you... Uh, when you <laughs> look at the specs, but it feels very different in the hand. I know you'll have um, tried yeah. that. So isn't it, to me, it's still amazing that, I mean, I, I don't know what it is exactly. It's something like six grams different. And in terms of volume, it, it's actually just, you know, one millimeter or two millimeters in it. It's amazing how different they can actually feel as two devices. It's as different, if I may say so, as the Lumi 950 to the 650, when we already commented Absolutely. that on previous podcasts. The 650 felt very similar to the P9 in terms of the... It's, it's the fact that something's metal, thin and metal, that creates a sort of a holistic impression in your mind. Um, and that's totally different to the impression you get when you pick up something that's plastic. I know that makes no sense because, as you say, the volumes and dimensions aren't physically that different. But the combination of having something that's slightly thinner, denser, metal creates an impression of quality whereas something that's slightly thicker and plastic doesn't and uh, I, yeah, I, I stand by that yeah and, and i agree and it's also you know just the the warmth of the devices i actually prefer the plastic devices for that reason versus the like cold cold devices but i guess it's almost that metal or that cold, draws your hand and it just feels smaller and it's one of those things that um you know, you actually put them side by side and you're kind of surprised to see it, but I'm not sure people always have that advantage and don't always see that in the, the shop shelves. So it's been interesting to see a lot of the reviews of the P9, you know, talk about some of those elements. And I think actually it's being held up as one of the, you know, better Android, uh, flagships that's come out recently. I mean, actually there's been some great devices out recently with things like the, uh, Samsung Galaxy S7, also the HTC One. Uh, arguably the G5 as well. And actually there's been a couple, you know, even the Xiaomi devices, you know, there's been a lot out there. Um, it does sort of, I think, uh, give a, an end note to, I think Microsoft should have made more of an effort on the design of the 950, 950XL. We've talked about it to death on the podcast, but I do sort of compare some of those devices hand in hand. And, you know, this head to head shows yeah. clearly the 950 has a big advantage on imaging. We've talked about it with some of the other head to heads in previous weeks. Um, but of course, uh, consumers are fickle and uh, leaving aside the platform issue, which I accept is going to be the big determining factor for most people. You know, there's a lot still to like about the 950, 950XL, but it's almost hand-strung somewhat, you know, by, by that very first, um, that first introductory factor. And let's say leaving the platform aside, because obviously that's yeah. the thing that probably dictates it for most people. Um, but I, I love seeing these, uh, heads to heads and, you know, particularly this photo comparison, because actually what was noticeable, um, I think in this, this camera comparison was just how far ahead the 950 was, despite the fact that the P9 is actually being somewhat lauded elsewhere for its uh, camera capabilities. Indeed, indeed. Um, and, and on a positive side about that plastic construction you just mentioned, look, I did just a final link before we finish the podcast. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes to a, a flow entitled Shiny Glass Might Look Good, but it doesn't bounce well. Because, oh, of course, if you have a device that's all metal and glass. If, if it falls from even a couple of meters, it's a goner, really, isn't it? I mean, you'd be very, very lucky if the, if the screen survived because there's this no flex, there's no giving it. Um, and the, the links, linked article in that flow was based to a friend of ours, um, uh, 
uh, Lee Geary, who I'm sure you know, Rafe. Yep. Um, and his wife's uh, Galaxy S5, again, it's plastic, removable battery, removable back and so forth. It got thrown off while well, she was on a roller coaster. <laughs> oh, king of the air. 30, 40, 50 feet up, feet up. Came crashing down. Back came off. Battery flew off. A screen went in a different direction. It took about five or ten minutes to put it all back together again, and it worked. It worked fine. I think <laughs> they had to replace the battery because the battery was a bit short. But apart from buying a new battery, you <laughs> survived. And you can kind of see the same would happen with the 950 950XL. I'm not going to do that with my personal devices. I don't want to break them. But I think if I drop the, one of the, these 950 devices with their plastic construction on the ground from, I don't know, 10, 12 feet up, I don't think I'd have too much of a worry, unless they landed literally face screen first i think they'd survive the, the, the concept of having the, the the back coming off the battery coming out means that those those kinetic elements of the of the impact that absorbs absorbs a lot of the energy so there's much less energy that needs to then travel right through the frame and right through the screen so uh, there is there's something to be said for plastic rafe and something oh, to be said is, for some things that come apart yeah, there, there definitely is. I mean, one of my deep, dark secrets is I'm actually quite clumsy uh, when I'm walking along, not paying attention. So I quite frequently drop my phone or indeed throw it um, on lo- long, graceful arcs. And I'm always grateful when I'm carrying one of the phones that, uh, I mean, actually, really, the plastic phones are the only ones I would carry without a case for that exact reason, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have actually broken a couple of these sort of glass screens. I have to admit, I've also managed to do it to a, a plastic Lumia device. That was a particularly impressive arc into a brick wall. But uh, moving swiftly on from that, you're right, they are more robust. And you know, obviously this goes back to the uh, the jokes around the Nokia 3310. Uh, but actually these phones that do break apart, obviously they're able to, I would say, sustain a little bit more damage or a little bit more rough handling. And um, you know, for something that's always with you and accidents happen inevitably, however careful you are, it's it's a definite plus point to consider. Um, you know, especially if you're the sort of person that wants to keep the phone around a little bit longer and therefore it's going to go through a few more of these shocks. Yeah. And uh, just one final thought, I guess. Uh, I, I found with my 950 and 950XL, even though I've got the Mozo backs of them in the drawer, I'm actually uh, trying both of them now without with the original backs. I know it's not as premium, but I didn't, if I didn't really mention this in the review of the Mozo backs, but the, the addition of the leather and the extra layer of plastic under the leather adds another millimetre. And you, just, just a, a small pointer, but the 950XL and the 950 on their original backs are about a millimetre thinner than with the Mozo backs. And that might be important to some people. Um, it certainly mm. cr- just adds one extra element of, you know, maybe the, maybe thinner is premium, maybe leather is premium. It's a very subjective thing. But it's wonderful to have the option. And if other people have got other replacement backs in the drawer, you can literally just pick the back for the, the day. It snaps on in about five seconds flat and you can you choose each day. I love the idea that you accessorise your phone each day, Steve. I do, I do. We're out of time, Rafe. We must finish there. But if you say, do please contact us if you've got other stuff you want us to chat about or if you want to interject a letter or an email. In the meantime, uh, catch us all about windowsphone.com. I'll say goodbye and I'll leave Rafe to sign off. Yeah, thanks as ever to Steve for his brilliant job on all the content this week. And thank you everyone for listening and please tune in next time.